Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at antiochchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Antioch family. How are we doing today? It is good to be with you all, and I'm sorry I'm not Pete, okay? I know he came back. You're excited about that. You're stuck with me for one more week, so I promise to make it as good as I can. Thank you. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Really, though, to echo what Pete said, it's, it's good to have him back, right? It's good to have him back. It's really good to have him back, but echo what he said about Big Lake next week. If you're not coming, be there, okay? It is going to be so fun. Come on Saturday. Come on Sunday. Whatever it is. It is going to be a blast. We've been working on this camp for a long time now. Our team actually first visited Big Lake uh, back in the winter. I got a picture from it. Uh, it's going to be hopefully a little warmer uh, this weekend. We're going to do baptism, so we have to, if we have to cut in the ice, we will. But uh, we've been planning this for a long time, and we just can't wait to be together as a family and, again, celebrate baptism. So please join us next weekend. As we've discussed before, we have been journeying through the Gospel of Luke for this entire summer, and I have some news for you, okay? You can decide whether it's good news or bad news, but this will be our last Sunday specifically in the Gospel of Luke. So Pete's got a great message for you next Sunday at the lake, and then we are going to do our second annual, yeah, you can call it an annual thing if you do it two times, uh, our second annual fall vision series with a little bit of a different twist this year that I am really excited about. So. All that to say, we will be wrapping up our time in Luke today, and by way of a brief recap, we are still on that same journey up to Jerusalem with Jesus. He is still giving us some of these most important teachings, and two weeks ago, Pastor Linda gave us a great message about the, the party at the Pharisee's house, where Jesus was kind of a, you know, a spicy house guest calling out the Pharisee at his own party, advocating for people over policy. And then last week, Donna Barber was here discussing the cost of being a disciple, and both of these stories lead into our text today in Luke 15. In this chapter of the Gospel of Luke, uh, we hear Jesus tell three different parables in succession. You heard Amy say two of them. Those are the story of the lost sheep and the story of the lost coin. And the third parable that is in Luke 15 that unfortunately falls outside our lecturing today is the story of the prodigal son. Great passage, great one to preach on. And, uh, and I have to say, that story would have been apropos with Pete's return today, right? <laughs> He's squandered all his wealth and wild living. You saw the pictures? Come on. He has just been crazy. We could have all lined up, welcomed him home, big hugs, roasted a fattened calf. It would have been a party. But alas, that is not in our text today, so you'll just have to give him like a nice head nod or a firm handshake to welcome him back. So uh, our text today focuses on the nature of God and particularly God's nature to seek after and to restore people. This test asks, text asks questions of us like who is in and who is out and who is lost and who is found and who needs repentance. And so with those questions in mind, let's dive into the text. Verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
So we quickly learn who is here in the audience for this particular parable from Jesus. And the first group is the tax collectors and the sinners. And this is where the preacher is supposed to say, in Jesus's time, the tax collectors were especially hated. But when has anybody ever liked a tax collector? Uh, people are not huge IRS fans. Uh, so uh, these folks were especially hated because they, they were turncoats, right? They, they collected taxes on behalf of the Romans against their own people. They were like if you combine the IRS with Benedict Arnold, not likable people. So that is who the tax collectors are. And then this category of sinners meant those who did not follow the Jewish law, whether intentionally or not. They weren't up to the standards of Jewish obedience to the Torah. They probably lived life on the fringes. They weren't welcome in most places or wanted anywhere. Hanging out with these type of people would ruin your reputation. And you know this saying that birds of a feather flock together. In the, in the ancient world, as with today, people were concerned that if you spent all your time with certain negative folks, that they would have negative impact on you. If you are known by the company you keep, Jesus is turning these notions upside down. But we also learn, besides these folks, that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are there as well. They're probably around to, to keep tabs on Jesus, to, to catch him in a mistake, as we've seen them serve as a foil to Jesus throughout many stories in the Gospel of Luke. These Pharisees would have thought to even associate with these sinners was one thing, and that would have been very bad, but to eat with them was even worse. And we see that the collection of people that are here listening to Jesus ranges from the seemingly holiest to the seemingly most unholy, from the keepers of the law to the breakers of the law, from the clean to the unclean, and in the view of the Pharisees, from those who are in and those who are out. These are the two diverse groups listening to Jesus tell these parables. And I imagine that there were all sorts of side conversations happening from these holy ones about these outcasts. Why are they here? You know, who, who invited them? Why does this Jesus guy eat with those people? I heard that he was a, a godly prophet. Doesn't he know that they are unclean? If he's hanging out with sinners like them, surely he is a sinner too. And all of these side conversations are indicative of the grumbling coming from the Pharisees. And, and why are they so mad? Because of the radical hospitality of Jesus. His meal sharing offended their sensibilities. Again, these were people that were intimately acquainted with the rules, the ones who were in charge of drawing the boundaries, the ones who enforced the holiness codes of clean and unclean. And there are two kind of key language hints in our text that tell us why they were especially annoyed. The first one is that word we see in verse one that is said here as here, H-E-A-R. When Luke writes, hearing goes beyond just you know, hearing sounds, or even we might think of hearing versus listening, where you actually listen to what someone says or comprehends it. When Luke uses the word hear, he associates hearing as a sign of repentance and conversion. So it's not just that these people are gathering around and listening to what Jesus has to say, which they certainly are doing. Their gathering is leading to transformation. They're hearing, they're changing their lives because of it. It's not just a moment, but a moment that leads to movement and change in their lives. And this is upsetting the status quo for the Pharisees, for the folks that are in charge, the religious leaders. 
And then similarly in verse 2, we see the complaint from the Pharisees that Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. The way that this word is used, particularly in the the tense that is in, it certainly does mean welcome, but it is better understood as seeks out. So Jesus seeks out and welcomes the seemingly worst of the worst, so much so that he will even eat a meal with them. If they had just come across Jesus, maybe that would have been okay, but no, Jesus seeks these people out intentionally. And so with that context in mind, the poor attitudes, the grumbling, the muttering from the Pharisees, Jesus, again, he responds with these three parables and the two that we're talking about today. And with the stories of the lost sheep and the lost coin, they generally follow the same structure. The shepherd and the woman each have a specific amount of something that is important to them. One of these important items goes missing. They go searching after it. They leave no stone unturned until it is found. Upon finding the missing sheep or the missing coin, they rejoice. They throw a party with their friends and neighbors to celebrate that the lost item has been found. So let's talk about a few observations from each of these stories and see how they reveal truths to each of the parties that were present that Jesus was speaking to and what it means for you and me today. In the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus begins by asking a question. Again, this story is told. The Pharisees are complaining. They're, they don't like that Jesus is seeking out and welcoming outsiders. That, and then these outsiders are hearing, meaning they are on the road to repentance. They're mad about it. And so Jesus says, I see that you are big mad about this. But let's try this hypothetical. Suppose that one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And the first thing that I notice here is that God's economy is different from ours. Uh, If we were in that scenario, Jesus talks about having 100 sheep and getting one getting lost. Wouldn't you go after it? I would be like, nope. (laughs) That's a sunk cost. Damon, is that the right term? Sunk cost? No? Margin of error or something? It's bad economy, all right? Bad business, all right? It is a bummer, right? We care about this sheep can't risk the safety and the well-being of the other 99. You know, that is bad business. We have got to move on from it. And I know that there are some of you that have gone on a trip with Antioch to Israel in the past, but to better understand the context Jesus is talking about, he's talking about the wilderness of Judea here. It has tons of hilly places where sheep could go that humans couldn't. One lost sheep would be so hard to find. That's not even to discuss the, the myriad of predators like jackals, hyenas, leopards, and foxes and that would have been on the prowl for a sheep by itself. For the folks listening to this story, a sheep going missing is as good as a sheep gone. Be a waste of time to look for that sheep. But hold that thought because the parable of the lost coin mimics the parable of the lost sheep. The, this time a woman has 10 coins more specifically 10 drachmas, somewhere between a half and a full day's wages, and one of these coins disappears in her house. It it probably fell between the couch cushions, right? Things in our houses have a way of disappearing. I know I left it right there. I know it's there. How could it be gone? Someone must have moved it. It couldn't have been me, right? And so what these stories tell us, or what they maybe even more accurately show us, again, can be understood by who is there. First is Jesus. In these stories, Jesus talks about himself both as a shepherd and as the woman who has lost her coin. And the most important thing that we see in these two stories is the absolute commitment of God of actively seeking out those who are lost. 
We see a ton of action verbs that describe what the sheep does and not, or what the shepherd does and not what the sheep does. The shepherd leaves, goes after, finds, puts the sheep on his shoulders, rejoices, goes home, calls together his friends. And the same holds true for the woman. She lights a lamp, she sweeps the house, she searches carefully, she finds and calls together her friends. And the, parable, the parallels here show that the emphasis is on the finding and the one who is committed to finding no matter the cost. If you look at the examples used by Jesus of the lost ones, the sheep and the coin, they aren't very helpful in the finding process. You know, lost sheep often won't bleat or cry out at all due to fear. They're much more likely to curl up, to hide in the bushes, to hide in the brush, and to hide from any predators. They can become so fearful that they're actually harmful to their own rescue. Coins, well, they're not exactly crying out for help either. They tend to find the worst possible crevice to fall into. And we see that the rescue is totally dependent on the diligence of the searcher. While we might like to imagine ourselves in these stories as the shepherd looking for the sheep or the woman looking for the coin, we are the lost objects. We are the object of another's search. We are lost to someone who is, we are assured, seeking after us. And what Jesus puts on display here is the long and loving reach of God. If the God who made the universe will also travel into the thicket to pull you out and crawl into the hole that you've dug for yourself. This is the very character and nature of God. Jesus uses two parables here, one in which he depicts God as a shepherd and one in which he depicts God or himself as a woman, ensuring that no one would feel left out. When Jesus asked the teacher of the law, you know, wouldn't you leave the 99 for the sake of the one? We know that the answer is no, and I think that Jesus does too, because it's an intentional contrast. That's what the audacious and overwhelming love of God is like. It's completely and totally different than anything else we will ever know. So that's what this story says about God. What does it say about the lost? The ones whom the Pharisees called the sinners. Well, I think the first thing to note that the only thing that is different about the one sheep versus the 99 is that it is lost. I don't know about you, but it can be easy for me to assume that the sheep has done something wrong. The sheep clearly didn't follow directions or the sheep wasn't listening or that being lost was a result of that sheep's poor choices. And they have to deal with the, the consequences of that. That's the sheep's own fault, right? We're talking about sheep, but we're not really talking about sheep, right? We're talking about people. That's why Jesus was using this story to illuminate a point about these different types of people that sometimes we get lost. Sometimes people get lost. It happens. It's not the end of the world. Maybe that's you or maybe that's someone you know. You, you might have strayed from what you know to be true. You might have experienced a season in which the things of your life took you off the marked trail or away from the shepherd. Or maybe you aren't so sure about all this whole faith thing anymore. Or maybe the last few years it made you question what you thought you knew to be true about God or faith or Jesus or the Bible or insert whatever you want. 
Maybe you've seen people you looked up to in the past step away from faith, and now you're not sure what that means for you, or maybe you've lost someone to the other side, and in that grieving and mourning, feel as if you've lost yourself. That's why I like this word, lost. I kind of have some mixed feelings about it. It can feel a little bit yucky (laughs) to say that about a person. But what I like about the word lost is it doesn't describe your character or your heart. It describes a present condition, one in which can change as you are found. Because in this story, Jesus makes it clear that when there seems to be no hope for reconciliation and no possibility to retrace your steps or to make it right, he assures us that God is one step ahead, that home is already waiting and that love's door is wide open. We see that Jesus finds us in a way that is not dependent on us, but is only on our being sought. And here's the good news. We are sought and we have always already been found. So maybe you might feel like you are lost for any number of reasons. That's okay. And I'm sorry that you're in that season. But this God that Jesus speaks of is not a tyrant who demands subservience to impossible demands, but rather a God who seeks restoration. He says you don't have to find yourself. We don't have to find ourselves because we can rest in the confidence that we have wandered into a place where we can be found. Jesus is seeking after us and will joyfully put us on his shoulders as he takes us home. And when we get there, there is a big party waiting. And this idea of rejoicing and celebrating, it is one of the key themes in both of these parables. The shepherd and the woman invite their friends and neighbors for a party when the lost has been found, and that party probably costs more than the item that they had misplaced. And it's in this rejoicing that that Jesus is especially speaking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, those who consider themselves as in or found. And here's the thing, before you go writing off this just, just for the Pharisees and not for you and me, The truth is, we all got a little Pharisee in us. It's true, it comes out in different ways, but we do. Can I tell you where my Pharisee comes out? You won't judge me for this? In the express line at the grocery store, okay? It says 10 items or less. And I'm over here like, okay, one, two, three. This person, she has 11 items. Someone needs to get this person out of line, right? This says 10 items or less. What are you doing? We live in a society, right? That's where my Pharisee comes out, all right? But it can come out of all of us in more serious ways too, right? When it comes to faith in Jesus, sometimes it comes out in that question of who is in and and who is out of what are the standards that people need to keep in order to meet my expectations of what it means to be in or to be out. Because what Jesus is challenging these religious leaders with in these stories is this, is will these folks ever do enough for you? Will they ever meet your standards? Will they ever be enough to be in? He says, maybe instead of grumbling and, and being mad and about me seeking out and welcoming the lost, you need to check yourselves and ask, why aren't you happy about this? Why aren't you joining in the celebration? Because the reality is that Jesus and the Pharisees are in agreement. The tax collectors and sinners were lost. 
Jesus doesn't disagree about that. But Jesus shows what a compassionate God does as he searches for the lost. He doesn't leave them there. He doesn't turn his nose up at them. He doesn't talk about them as if they shouldn't be welcomed or joined. He, he shows heaven's delight when one of the lost or one of the sinners experiences repentance and faith. And while it might be fun to pit the Pharisees and the sinners on opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Holy and unholy, clean and unclean, one as found and one as lost. What I think we see in this story is that both groups are equally lost. The only difference is the wrong road that they've taken to get there. Yes, the sinners are lost, that they don't know the ways of God, they don't know the fulfilling life that he has set out for them. Whether intentionally or not, they've wandered from the shepherd. But the Pharisees are lost too because they don't know the compassion and the empathy of God. They think they can do it all on their own. They think that they are good enough. They think that they can care more about getting it right and determining who is in and out than joining in with the celebration that extends from heaven to earth every time a single lost person is found. Lois Malcolm is a professor and a theologian. I love how she puts it. She says, at issue here are two different types of responses to Jesus and God's reign. Sinners repent because they know they are lost and thus can avail themselves of the transformation that comes with God's finding them. By contrast, the righteous do not need to repent or change their ways presumably because they think they are lost. They don't think they are lost. They don't need God to find them. They are justified either in their own eyes or in the eyes of others. So yes, in these parables, we see what this radical hospitality and welcoming of Jesus leads to it. It says in verse seven and in verse 10, but verse 10 specifically says, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus' hospitality, Jesus' welcoming leads to repentance. And if you'll notice, we don't know when the repentance comes for the lost in these stories. We learn that the lost are found. We learn that they are welcomed by God and a party is thrown, but it doesn't describe their repentance in great detail. But what we do know is it only comes after they've been welcomed and found by God. It seems as if they experience belonging before believing. But this parable is much about the lost being found as it is about inviting the seemingly righteous to join in the celebration. Again, if we go back to the beginning, these parables were told because Jesus was making a habit of having parties with all the wrong people. Like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son, the Pharisees and the religious leaders were annoyed by all of this celebrating, which kind of gets at another life principle is another person's party can be annoying to you. If you don't know why your neighbor's having a party and why they're celebrating, why the music is so loud, so late when you have a sleeping baby, right? You get annoyed by it. Other people's celebration can be annoying. But what Jesus says to the Pharisees here is that this party is about the redemption of the lost and what could be more joyful than that? He says, if you truly know God, you would be rejoicing too. And if we don't join in with the party, we are out of tune with God's reality. 
Because here's the punchline to the story is that in the Jewish understanding of creation, there were two halves of God's creation, heaven and earth, and they were meant to fit together to be in harmony with each other. So much so that if you discover what's going on in heaven, you'll discover how things are meant to be here on earth. So if Jesus says that heaven is having a noisy party every time someone lost is found and you want heaven to be experienced on earth, then you should throw a party too. Open the doors wide and celebrate. When one in our community goes missing or is lost, we are all affected. But when one is restored, we are all better off for it. That is how it is in the kingdom of God. So we see in these three parables that Jesus is challenging our notions of who is in and who is out and how we perceive him as the seeker of the lost. Because Jesus makes a few things clear here that if you are lost, he will never stop looking for you. It doesn't matter how lost you are, how off the beaten path, what you've done, even if you feel as if you've lost your faith, he is still seeking after you. I mean, what is losing your faith, but losing the conviction that you're already found. Wondering if you are being sought after all, and the, and the answer to that question is he is. That is his very nature. So if you do feel lost today for whatever reason it is, my hope is that you know that, dil that Jesus is diligently seeking after you, not letting anything get in the way of his finding you. But maybe you don't feel lost kind of in the traditional sense of the word. But my hunch is that Jesus is blowing up how we think about these categories and saying that we're all both lost and found. That we all get it wrong. That we all mess it up. That we exclude when we should include. That we fail at seeking justice and walking humbly and loving mercy. But that doesn't disqualify us from being found. Hopefully it means that we have more empathy for all people, for outsiders, for insiders, for sinners, for tax collectors, for those on the fringes, because we are all in it together. We're challenged to reconsider what our labels are of inside and out and hopefully move forward in empathy. Because God declares that every single one of his children is precious. It doesn't matter how lost they are, how they got there, or whether they know it, if they're lost, or whether they think they're lost or not, he is still seeking out after them. Or maybe he's still seeking out after you. And that when we experience being found, our usual ways of perceiving and responding to life are completely transformed. So much so that our lives become a celebration that, that mimics heaven's reality. So, Antioch family... May we be a people who confidently know that we are being sought after and have already been found and that we can join in with the celebration of heaven each and every day. Amen. Amen. Pastor Pete is going to come up and lead us through communion if he remembers how.